This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. The COVID-19 pandemic has been devastating for many families in America, and for those with loved ones in assisted living and other medical facilities, there's been the additional trauma of isolation. Many of those who lost family members who were in assisted living facilities during the pandemic experience what Jacksonville patient advocate Mary Daniel calls complicated grief, the doubt and regret of knowing they were alone. A new law aims to fix that. The No Patient Left Alone Act, which goes into effect July 1st, allows visits to healthcare facilities even during an emergency like a pandemic. We'll talk with Mary Daniel later in the show about what the new law means for her husband, who's in a memory care facility, and for many other families. First, here's Veronica Cato, CEO of the Florida Assisted Living Association. She says there are some concerns about the new law as facilities get ready for its rollout. The concerns were really about the size and the, and the variables that are in our assisted living facilities throughout the state of Florida. So the way that that bill is written, it requires two hours of visitation per resident for every essential caregiver that they identify. Well, when you look at a six bed ALF, that can constitute 12 hours a day. And if there's a high incidence of infection in that area, that demographic region, they're having that many visitors on a daily basis. Now that is an exception. It may not happen every day, but the possibility is now there because in law, it says that you have to allow each one of those residents to have an essential caregiver for a minimum of two hours per day. Still, Cato says she understands why people wanted the new law. I think if families felt like they needed this, then that's what they got right. It allows them to feel that they have a comfort level that they won't be shut out anymore. And you can hear more of my interview with Veronica Cato of the Florida Assisted Living Association on our website, wusf.org. For more on the No Patient Left Alone law and what led up to it, we're joined by Stephanie Colombini, reporter for Health News Florida. Oh, Stephanie Colombini, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Governor DeSantis signed the No Patient Left Alone Act into law on April 6th. Could you just remind us what the law does? It basically gives families the right to visit their loved ones in hospitals and long-term care facilities, regardless of whether there's a a public health crisis like a pandemic. Um, So yeah, it just kind of puts those visitation rights into law and boosts privileges they already had. Can you clarify the difference between assisted living facilities, rest homes and hospitals when it comes to the impact of this law and visitation rights for families? Yeah, so the law, you know, it does apply to all healthcare facilities in Florida, but some places like nursing homes, they're really regulated by the federal government. So um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services had already required nursing homes, uh, you know, skilled nursing facilities in the entire United States to allow visitation at all times. That was back in November of 2021. And so, you know, nursing homes, even prior to this law getting passed, already had to let families in no matter what. But assisted living facilities and hospitals, they're regulated differently. So, you know, we saw during the Omicron surge say that, you know, some health facilities had to restrict visitation again, even if though, you know, they had been allowing it before. We've seen during these surges or when individual facilities have had outbreaks that they've decided to uh, stop allowing visitors or to control them in a certain way. So what this law would do is kind of wipe that out. And it does a couple things. So it allows 
residents or patients to designate an essential caregiver. You know, one family member say that no matter what, they're allowed two hours of visitation each day, even if the hospital says, you know, other family members, we can only have you in at three o'clock for 20 minutes or something like that. You know, this family member can get in no matter what. Um, And then there are circumstances that the bill outlines that say that, you know, in these situations, family members have to be allowed in, even if you curb general visitation. And those include if a patient is dying, if they are struggling to transition to a new environment, say they just moved into this assisted living facility and it's a tough transition, a family member could get in. If that family member helped with certain physical activities of daily living, like feeding, they can go in. If the patient's in emotional distress, any pediatric patient, um, a, a person giving birth, those are some of the circumstances that this law explicitly says you have to allow visitors no matter what in these situations. There have been some studies too, right, on the physical and emotional impacts of isolation on people who are in assisted living facilities. Could you talk a little bit about what those studies revealed? Yeah, definitely some troubling data. Um, We saw one published this year that looked at elderly residents in long-term care facilities with and without dementia, as well as those who live just in the community that are still at home. And it found that um, people, older residents with dementia in nursing homes and assisted living facilities, even when that community had low COVID rates, there were still high rates of what are known as excess deaths, meaning that more people died, say, in 2020 than had died in 2019, 2018. So more people died than expected that would have normally died in a typical year, even when COVID rates were low. And so they, the researchers can't explicitly attribute that to isolation, but they said that, you know, that clearly showed that other factors related to the pandemic, like isolation or, you know, neglect from staff were probably playing a role. And especially with dementia, where having that contact with others is really important and that mental engagement. Um, There was another investigation from the Associated Press that was published in late 2020 um, that did look explicitly at death certificates, um, investigated deaths in over a thousand nurses homes around the country and assisted living and found that for every two patients that died from COVID, another resident died from prematurely from other causes. And they did look at those death certificates to figure out the cause of death. And in a lot of them, it was listed as failure to thrive. Um, And that was kind of the, the term for, you know, this person just didn't want to go on anymore, you know, physically, and and so passed away. And a lot of that did have to do with the isolation that people felt, Um, you know, being alone in their rooms. Zoom visits and stuff like that is not necessarily a successful option for nursing home residents, especially those with dementia. It's very hard. I spoke with family members who had, you know, family members with dementia who talked about like they couldn't click that their, you know, loved one was on the other end of the the FaceTime or even the window visits where family members would show up outside the window. It was actually very upsetting for many dementia patients to, to see that because they didn't understand what was going on. And so it was actually kind of detrimental in many ways. And so some of the ways that the rest of us were able to get through the pandemic by connecting remotely and doing things like that, that wasn't an option for a lot of these elderly residents. And so you did find people dealing with serious isolation and loneliness. And it's interesting too, your reporting revealed that there's 
kind of a couple of strands to this isolation, right? It takes a mental toll and that in turn has an impact on health, as you point out. And then also, as you mentioned before, families do some of the physical work of caring for patients and holding facilities accountable. That's absolutely true. I talked to a lot of caregivers who said this law is as important for kind of accountability and quality of care as it is for just, you know, the the emotional and social engagement between families. Because in a lot of instances, you know, a loved one might be the person that if they're going to visit their their mom or dad every day, say, in an assisted living facility, maybe they're going to feed them lunch or help them get changed or go to the bathroom. Because we know there's a staff shortage in nursing homes across the country, and it's only gotten worse because of the pandemic. So even in facilities where staff are doing their absolute best, they care about the patients, they're working really hard, they're still overwhelmed and they're still being pulled in a million different directions. So family members were really important in being able to kind of take on those tasks, cleaning a loved one's bedroom, things like that, Um, or in facilities where staff weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Maybe they, you know, didn't have the, the best work culture there. A family member could see that and could see, you know, my mom has been in a room that's filthy for two weeks, or my mom has pressure sores because she hasn't been, you know, moved around or a UTI because they haven't, you know, been taking her to the bathroom as much as she could. That is all stuff that you have to be there to see. You can't figure that out on a phone call or on a Zoom call. So being able to get into facilities is really important in, you know, helping and seeing the things that, you know, a facility that isn't doing their job might not want you to see. Um, And so I've heard from a lot of caregivers who are championing this law as a way to, to give them that power back and be that voice for patients and residents that might not be able to voice it themselves. Uh, What do you think the impact of this law is going to be on those folks who've really had to step up just to make sure that people in care, their family members are getting the care that they need and deserve. I think it's going to be huge. The way Mary Daniel put it to me was, we're tired of fighting. Like, we don't want to be these adversaries against the health facility or, you know, the nursing home where we're constantly at odds with them. You know, we we just want to see our loved ones. We just want to make sure they're getting the care that we need. So this law kind of removes some of that barrier. Um, Because even prior to this law passing, there were some, you know, guidelines and recommendations about allowing visitation that were frequently kind of getting ignored. And so people felt like they almost had to be their own like lawyer or something and going up to bats with these facilities to say, you know, I'm supposed to be allowed here. Um, And so it's just going to make their lives easier because it's kind of like clearly stated that, you know, they do have this access. So I think that was kind of the way Mary Daniel put it was we don't want to be fighting anymore. You know, we just want to see our loved ones. So I hope, you know, for them that does happen. You also did some reporting earlier this year, Stephanie, on people who had decided to take family members out of nursing homes and care for them at home because of their fears over the pandemic. I wonder what impact this law may have on decisions around whether to keep a family member in nursing home care or not. Yeah, it definitely might you know, convince people to, to move forward because some of the family members I talked with, the, the whole reason by pulling them out or I talked to others who, you know, were this close to putting them in one and decided not to was because they were worried about seeing 
their loved ones being able to see them. So I think the fact that this law is in place and, and family members know they'll be able to get in there no matter what, even if there was a pandemic, might definitely convince some people to, to leave their loved ones in the home if they're satisfied with their level of care or to, you know, if they, they're realizing, say, they're caring for somebody at home and it's getting too difficult right now, um, you know, they might move forward with putting them in a long-term care facility because they're that fear of what happens if a pandemic happens again and I'll be shut out, you know, now there's a law in place that will keep that from happening. So it might not change everybody's minds. There's a lot of factors that influence why someone would want to care for their loved one at home, but it definitely could be that deciding factor for some families. What are some of the takeaways, do you think, from your reporting about this issue on some of the bigger systemic problems affecting rest home and assisted living care? Um, I think, you know, the staffing shortage is still like the biggest thing that we really need to keep reporting on, keep seeing where that moves forward. And, And this visitation law ties into that because, you know, like we talked about, you know, if staff are pulled in a million directions because there's so few of them, it, the families really do matter more than ever in terms of their ability to assist with care, their ability to see what's going on in a long-term care facility. So addressing that staffing issue and, and figuring out paying them more, because that is usually the biggest you know issue is that the pay is so low, um, you know, reduce the job turnover, make this a job that people want to stay in and do well and attract quality healthcare professionals. That is probably the biggest challenge facing the long-term care industry and, and why people are satisfied or not satisfied with it is, you know, how well are the staff able to serve the, the residents? And so boosting those staffing levels, I think, would really make a difference. And um, yeah, I think that would be the issue I'd, I'm looking at, you know, moving forward is, you know, how can the long-term care industry change to make it something that people, you know, want to be involved in? And of course, this pandemic isn't quite over yet, but do you get the sense that the industry will be better prepared for the next pandemic to come around? I would hope so. I definitely, I think um, even throughout this pandemic, even when it comes to visitation, you know, facilities learned different tactics of what works and doesn't work in terms of scheduling visitation or holding it in certain rooms or outdoors and and how to wear PPE and, you know, the vaccines playing a role. So I think everybody learned a lot, even just in the past two years from kind of going from this zero tolerance, we can't let anybody through the door to even allowing visitation during, you know, outbreaks. And, And so I think long-term care facilities, hospitals, everybody will be more prepared if another pandemic or another wave of COVID comes through. I think a lot of lessons have been learned and they will um, kind of be able to take some of those strategies and apply them in the future. Well, Stephanie Colombini, thanks so much for your reporting and thanks for your time. Thank you. You can find more of Stephanie's reporting on the impact of the pandemic on healthcare facilities over on our website. You're listening to Florida Matters. Coming up, we'll talk with Jacksonville patient advocate Mary Daniel about what the new law means for her and her husband, who's in a memory care facility, and for many other families. Our conversation continues in just a moment. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. 
We're talking about the impact of the pandemic on patients in assisted living and other healthcare facilities, and what a new law that allows visits to health facilities even during a crisis means for those patients and their families. Mary Daniel is a patient advocate in Jacksonville and the founder of the group Caregivers for Compromise. She found herself in the spotlight after she took a job as a dishwasher at her husband's memory care facility just so she could keep visiting him. Mary, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate being here with you today. How do you feel about this new law? Is this what you were hoping for? It is absolutely what I was hoping for. I started working on this, the bill, the original bill, trying to find someone to introduce this bill uh, back at the end of last year. So thankfully, we were able to do that. I was able to have a real role in working on the language of the bill um, to be certain that it covered all of our concerns. So I'm very, very happy with the finished product. Are there any things about it that you think still need to be worked out in terms of maybe some wrinkles, which you just have to wait and see how it how it works once it's up and running? That's exactly right. It, as it's written right now, it should be able to work well. We see that we um, our group, Caregivers for Compromise, we have leaders all over the United States, and we have a bill that was before us uh, that was passed in Texas. And so we're having we we're able to watch a little bit even farther in advance to see if there's any hiccups in the way these bills are actually being implemented. As it's written, it should be fine. But I will tell you that we still, um, even if everything works out well with it, we do have next steps that we're going to work on, including a constitutional amendment uh, for the state of Florida so that this bill cannot ever be changed, because that is a concern down the road. Mary, could you talk a little bit about how the new law will change your experience of caring for your husband and his experience as well? The new law will put in protections so that we don't ever have to go through uh, 2020 ever again. Um, when the lockdowns happened in March of 2020, my, the doors to my husband's facilities and facilities all across the United States were slammed shut. And Alzheimer's patients, dementia patients in particular, that isolation um, was extremely difficult for them. They're not able, my husband, for example, is not verbal, so he's not able to understand nor express Um, his feelings or what's going on. He doesn't know what COVID is to this day. Um, And so trying to communicate with him via phone or FaceTime was impossible. We visited twice at the window. He cried the entire time. So the isolation for him, uh, the separation for us was very, very difficult. And what this law does is protects us moving forward. So we found in Florida, um, once I got a job as a dishwasher, was able to go in and see him Um, I was able to get to the governor, uh, served on his task force for reopening long-term care, and really asked him a very simple question. I mean, I literally looked him in the eye and asked the governor, why am I able to touch my husband as a dishwasher, but I'm not able to touch him as his wife? And he said, I don't know, but we're going to work on that. And he did. We were able to suggest uh, guidelines following the same safety guidelines as staff, Uh, My group is called Caregivers for Compromise. We do not want these doors thrown open. We do not want um, to lose sight of the safety precautions that need to be taken. We have a vested interest in protecting our loved ones, but we also know that the isolation killed many of them, and we have to be sure that that doesn't happen again, and that's exactly what this law does. And you bring up an interesting point because one of the concerns raised by the Florida Assisted Living Association when WUSF Stephanie Colombini spoke to them Uh, in April was how to balance the needs of patients and their families who aren't necessarily keen on having more visitation because they are worried about the risk of COVID. So in your role as patient advocate, what are you hearing from other families about this new law? Are they 
feel united in their desire to have more access to loved ones and care or are there still some folks who are like we don't think this is a good idea we don't hear from a lot of people who don't think this is a good idea it's interesting that the that these associations talk about that yet i've not met anyone who doesn't believe with safety guidelines that we can't visit safely when we were able to go back in in september of 2020 we had no uptick in cases in facilities brought in by families. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a vested interest in keeping our family members safe. And I also believe that the staff and the family members hold each other accountable. When I was in the facility washing dishes, there were times that I saw staff members without masks. And as soon as they saw me, those masks went on. Now, I will tell you, I don't blame them. These, these workers are fatigued. They certainly were fatigued back then. They were tired. They were doing it all alone without family members. But the truth of the matter is we hold each other accountable. When they know that we're watching them and we know that they're watching us, we are more apt to follow the guidelines more stringently and protect the patient's uh, in a better way. And I think that that's why it's a good thing that we have both of us in there. The staffing shortages in these facilities is another issue. Um, we need to be there so that number one, we can see what's happening. And number two, so that we can help. Let us help. When I go see my husband every evening, the staff no longer has to worry about him. I've taken them off his hands. He's with me. I get him ready for bed. And when I leave, he is asleep in bed. I'm there to help them not hurt them. So we don't find many families who are saying, no, this is a bad thing. We want our family member to be isolated. You might find some of that in independent living, but when it comes to actually memory care facilities, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, families want to be there with their family members so that we can care for them and we can be sure that they're being cared for by staff. But if families aren't able to get in there and the pandemic is, I'm sure, taught folks a lot about what happens in that situation, it sounds like there's a real gap in care, or there can be at least in some places. Remember the staff shortages again, because these are real. And this was happening well before COVID. COVID has only just made this a problem that's that's much worse. So they have to deal with the things, the most important issues of the day when they go there to care for, for residents. When I got to Steve after 114 days, when I put him in bed and took his shoes off, his toenails had not been cut in 114 days. That just fell to the bottom of the list. That type of care, is it neglect? No. I, I mean, I, Steve is not able to recognize that that was happening. But there were people at the end who were separated for over six months. And those people, the same sorts of things were happening to them. So the light bulbs were out in, in the two lamps in his room. His remote control was missing. His glasses were missing. Those are the things that when I'm in there that I'm monitoring and I'm being sure are taken care of. When they're short-staffed and when they're in there all by themselves, those are the kinds of things that fall through the cracks. And so, and we're just talking about little things. There were places, there is no doubt about it, where people were in fact neglected, that people were able to walk before the pandemic and after the pandemic, they were not able to walk because uh, the shortages were so so um, intense in many places, they didn't ever get them out of bed. So there were real issues of severe decline because the staff wasn't able to do it all by themselves. And again, I'm not blaming anyone. This was a very, very difficult situation for everyone, but that is just simply the fact. Um, the bottom line really also is the lockdowns didn't work. 
they didn't keep the virus out of these facilities. Tens of thousands of people died in the state of Florida in nursing homes and long-term care. So we know that it didn't work. And we believe being in there safely, same guidelines as staff, that we can help the staff take better care of our families and we can be there to be sure that we're protecting them too. Do you know why it didn't work? Is that because there wasn't enough in the way of safety precautions precautions from staff and the folks who are working with people in care? I think so. And I think that in a lot of places we found workers were able to come in. I mean, in, in our facility, there was a, there was a, there's a saltwater fish tank. The fish tank people were able to go in. Um, we did some renovations in the building that it, where people were going in and they did not have a vested interest in being certain that these residents were protected. So I do believe that, you know, wh- whether it was the, the process of, of lack of testing and I mean, all of that process that we went through, remember we, you know, we truly believe once we got the test that that would be what we needed. Once we got the vaccine, that would be what we needed. And as things rolled on, none of those things were really working and helping to keep it out. So it didn't work. And so we believe, again, that accountability for each other, the vested interest in taking care of them. I think we're better working together than we are working against each other. Um, Helping each other care for our loved ones makes this a team effort that we're all vested in. And I think we just do better under those circumstances. Now, taking a dishwashing job in the facility where your husband lives, that's, I think, probably a a fairly unusual situation. Not everybody would have the ability to be able to do that, right? So I'm wondering, you know, what stories you've heard from other folks who weren't able to um, find a workaround like that so they could actually get in there and see their their loved ones um, sooner than, than, uh, than you were able to. It was a very, very difficult situation um, for people. I realized when the dishwasher story went viral that there were literally hundreds of thousands of people across the United States in the exact same situation where you're right. Many of them, once they heard my story, they applied for jobs at the facility and they wouldn't allow it. The facility wouldn't allow it for whatever reasons. They didn't want us in there. In many cases, it was because there was neglect. In many cases, they were understaffed. Um, They didn't want us to see what was going on. Not all cases, certainly not in my facility who welcomed me in as the dishwasher, but it was happening. And we had people having to literally watch family members die through a window. There were thousands of people who watched their family members die through a window. And we were better than that as, as, as a country to care for our elderly, to care for our parents and our spouses, and even our children. Um, so many of our members are parents of adult children, adult disabled children, who they saw every single day. And all of a sudden, that communication and that bond with their children is gone. And it was extremely difficult. The grief of this has been overwhelming for family members. Did we do the right thing by leaving them in? Did we do the right thing by putting them in in the first place? Could we have done something different to possibly save them for all those um, that actually died alone? There's grief in just losing a parent or losing a loved one. But when you throw in the fact of, of COVID and the isolation, um, the, the we call it complicated grief because it's not as easy as 
as simply losing someone. It's losing them with doubts. It's losing them with regrets. It's losing them with severe pain of having to know that they were alone. And that's not only true in long-term care. That was true in hospitals as well, where people were in hospitals. And that's the beauty of this bill, by the way. It includes hospitals um, so that we always will have visitation. Family members who need us the most will always have visitation, whether it's in long-term care or hospitals too. We've been speaking with Jacksonville patient advocate, Mary Daniel. Thanks so much, Mary. Thank you so much. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.